I'm just sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden, the mackerel start coming back in on me. And these bait balls really, really moved long distances. And this had moved away and they had moved back. And then they were swarming around me for protection. Hey folks, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, Today we're talking to someone I met at the Outdoor Media Summit a a few weeks ago where a bunch of people from the outdoor media just got together, uh, had a conference, and I met Roger. We were drinking some athletic beer together, actually, and we were sitting there talking. He was telling me about spearfishing, and he was telling me stories and I was like, holy cow, we've got to get you on the podcast because this is this is incredible. One, we've never really featured spearfishing. And two, it's an active way to fish. You know, I grew up fishing with like a cane pole and a bobber and, you know, just sitting there for hours at a time. Same with hunting, which, you know, was kind of boring, honestly. Uh, but it did get me outside and I, I do appreciate that. But spearfishing is a totally different game. So I wanted to talk to Roger, hear more about it. Uh, there's some contact information in the show notes if you're interested to hear any of this or, or get in touch with him or get in touch with the club, the Fathomers out of LA, where he does most of his spearfishing. Um, and also, before we jump in, I did want to thank our most recent patrons over at patreon.com. Um, we've got Michelle S., Calvin M., NTC, and John H. Thank you so much for supporting the show means the world to us. Uh, Remember, if you want to support the show, we do have ad-free episodes over at Patreon, um, and there's a number of ways to get involved, so check it out. And thank you again to everyone that's on there. means the world to us. But let's go ahead and jump into the episode. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today today we're talking about something new. We don't often feature hunting and fishing um, and talking, the, telling those stories, but you know what? Today's almost a little bit of both. Roger, what, what do you consider spearfishing more of, hunting or fishing? It's kind of both to me. That's a good question. Um, I, I, I would First answer would be a lot of swimming in cold water, but... <laughs> Uh, I, I think uh, probably hunting would be a little bit different. Man, that's that. I guess it's a hybrid because you are definitely down there to get some fish, but uh, you're really getting in the water to find them. Absolutely. Holy cow. I grew up fishing, you know, with cane poles and bobbers when I was growing up, but we just called it, we didn't even, we, we, we called it fishing. We, we, if we caught fish, we called it catching, but we never really caught right. fish, so we just called it fishing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh well, well tell us where where are you coming from today where's home for you so i live in marina del rey which is about uh two or three miles above the airport in los angeles uh and i'm recording this from the house and uh i spearfish either in palos verde or malibu or both ends of the santa monica bay or i go out to the channel islands uh whenever i can get a ride on a boat how is that area for spearfishing? Uh, I think it's wonderful. The world record white sea bass was taken up in Malibu several years ago by one of my fellow uh, fathomers. I'm in a dive club, and Bill Ernst took that fish, and it was a 93-pound white sea bass, which is just 
ungodly big. I've never seen anything close to that in the water, but he, he, he got it up there. Uh, he has led a huge disinformation campaign to keep the spot secret. I, and, and I think Bill would be laughing if you heard me say that right now, but um, it was definitely there. And, and then uh, Palos Verde is also a wonderful spot to spearfish. You're, when you're doing most of your spearfishing, you are looking for reef, unless you're swimming after a halibut, which tend to be a little bit more sandy. You can go out and swim over the sand or say where the eelgrass touches the sand and you would wait till you see one. They tend to burrow in and are a little bit hard to see. And um, then you see one and you go down and you shoot it. Um, most of our fish are, I would put them in the harder to find category, except for the calico, which is a small, smaller bass. Um, and those seem to bolt really quick when they see you, they've got good reactions, but, um, uh, yeah, most of them, the difficulty is more finding them than shooting them when, and calico, it would be the reverse where they're everywhere. Although it's a little harder to find one 14 inches or longer now, since they raised the size limit from 12, uh, oh, but they're wow. fun. So you're that, you don't really have a second chance there either. No, you, uh, you see him and uh, another club member, uh, Rene Rojas, said it, you, the, the key to shooting your calico is to fire as soon as you see them. Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, but um, man, it is a lot of fun. So this, the reason we're talking to you is because it's so active. It's such a, uh, it's such a, so much movement and like you said, hunting and, and searching involved with this sport. Um, how did you get into it? Can you t- share a story like what what got you into this and how did your first time or first few times going out go for you? Yeah, I'll, uh, so how I got into it, I was reading Outside Magazine and um, I read an article and it was about spearfishing down in the Gulf. I grew up in New Orleans and I was out here in California when I read that. And I thought, oh my God, that sounds amazing. They were out there and they were spearfishing. But then I went and reread the article a couple of years ago, Mason, and it was terrible. I mean, they sat there and they were talking about sharks that they had to shoot because it had come in on their fish, uh, shallow water blackout where the guy has blacked out. He's got weights on, so he's sinking. He's down at 50 or 75 feet, and his buddy goes down to, to rescue him, and he can't get to him quick enough, so he fires his spear gun, and it goes through the guy's fin, and he pulls him up. And they're so happy. And he tells the guy, I was aiming at your thigh. I missed the shot. I, you barely made it. So oh, like my word. All, all the things you would never want to, to happen actually got me into it. I, after doing that, I found a spearfishing club that I eventually joined, the Los Angeles Fathomers. Uh, and I found a guy, his name is Ed Glass. And he took me down to PV and we went in the water at Lanata Cove. Uh, I had some dive gear from when I was doing tank diving. This is all breath hold, by the way, when we're talking about spearfishing. And uh, I immediately went into the surf and uh, I had a good time. I probably don't think I went more than into the kelp, say maybe 50 feet and bumped around there for a while. And on the way back in, I got rolled so hard, I lost my weight belt, which back then weights were probably a buck a pound. Now I think they run five. So somewhere down there is a treasure of weight um, that somebody's going to find one day, or maybe they did already. Holy cow! So, so that's one of. I mean, there's so much that goes into this sport and, and learning about it. There's so many different types of ways to interact, from the spear you use to the depth of the water to 
like you said, you're, you're, you're literally holding your breath. You're free diving in a lot of places. Which aspect or what kind of along that spectrum have you found to be kind of your favorite style? You know, breath hold diving is essential. Occasionally, we would throw on tanks at the end of a day and dive for rockfish, which you go down there and shoot those a little bit deeper. But for the most part, we are hunting in the kelp. I love hunting for white sea bass, and they are typically in in the springtime. For the most part, the the majority of them, I think they come in on an upcoming 67 degree temperature. So as the water warms up to 67 degrees, uh, they start coming into the kelp to, um, sorry, 57, 58. Uh, 67 is pretty hot for here. But as they start coming into the kelp, that is when you start to hunt them. And um, the kelp here can range from 60 feet average uh, in a deep spot. And so I'm diving in that much water or less, typically about 40. Uh, Your white sea bass will be in the first, say, 10 or 15 feet is where they usually will swim, although sometimes they can be on the surface and sometimes they can be on the bottom. Uh, And then you see one, you shoot it. And it typically swim around and tie up. And, you know, you have to go down and dispatch the fish if it's not stoned, if it's not killed on the first shot, and uh, then pull it out. Yeah, so that's how it's done. And that would probably be my favorite. And that would also be where you'd find calico. A lot of fish. The the, the kelp forest are absolutely teeming with fish on some days. And some days, man, it is just a long swim and about – an hour and a half into it, as you get cold, you start thinking, I really want a coffee. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Because <laughs> the cool thing about it is you're just in a different world. Uh, you know, I, I, I only really snorkel some. Uh, I've never scuba dived but despite living in the water. But I, I hear it explained so much that it's just like transforming into a different dimension almost. And I'm sure all those, you know, those things you start to miss about life <laughs> after an hour and a half, you start getting cold. It's like, man, that sounds really nice right now. Let me go back. <laughs> but it, it, it probably does feel to you like almost this removal of your civilized self and getting into this hunting mode underwater. Yeah. You know, I think that's worth exploring. I did a lot of camping before I started spearfishing and, um, I got into spearfishing right when I had my daughter. And when I look back on it, camping took an entire weekend or longer to go do. Uh, Spearfishing, sometimes depending on the daylight savings time and when the sun comes up, I can do it before work. And um, so you have to think that in the busy city of Los Angeles, like right off the shore, you can just swim out 50 feet and you are in a complete foreign land. And you're right, it is just primitive and uncivilized. And it's the same thing the guys were doing 50 years ago, it's the same thing that, that maybe the Indians were doing. And, it, you know, our gear is better. Uh, back in the 50s, they were using wool sweaters. And, man, I'm glad for a 7 mil uh, open cell neoprene wetsuit. Uh, that, that makes me very happy. But, boy, it's been here forever. And it connects you up with a um, primitive time. The club I'm in has been around for more than 50 years, and we've got a huge book of those old pictures, and man, it is just amazing to, to look through that book and see the old fish there. I can only imagine. How are you managing your time and your breath, and, and what does it look like to catch a fish? Is it, you know, you dive down, um, got to hold your breath this whole time, shoot a fish, hopefully capture it, and bring it back up to the surface? What, what does that process look like? 
Yeah. Hey, I, I'll, I'll tell this story of my first big sea bass, which, um, so I was up swimming, uh, at a secret location up in Malibu. They're all secret locations, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, uh, you don't want to give away your spots, but, um, I was swimming on the kelp and normally the, the sea bass will be up in the, where the current is entering the kelp. And I was on the inside of the bed, meaning closest to shore, which is a little bit, normally you'll see more of them on the outside, but my buddy was swimming up on that side. And, um, I had done this for about three years without getting a big sea bass and you're swimming around and you take a breath. Well, first you would breathe up, like you want to be as relaxed and have as much air in you as you can. So you take a deep, deep, deep breath. You kick down, and if you're doing it right, you should just drop down to your, you know, do a do a perfectly vertical dive down to say 10 or 15 feet, and then start to hunt. So I tried doing that. I go down to 10 or 15 feet. I'm looking in the kelp, and I look over out of the kelp, and I just look up ahead, and I start seeing these big fish. And your mind. First thing, probably pattern sharks. So once I see there, and once I get over the shock of seeing a big fish and know that it's not a shark, I look over and I see it is a group of five sea bass coming into the kelp and they're a little ways out and they have noticed me and they're starting to angle off and I've got my gun, which I made at the Venice High Wood Shop. And, uh, you slowly start to kick towards them and I'm probably going faster than I should. And they started swimming away. So I take aim at the biggest one I could see and I shoot. And as soon as I shoot, it hit, right? The, 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 the spear rolls out. It's attached to a trail line that is uh, attached to a, or is attached to a line that is attached to a hundred foot float line. So you've got your, trailing line and then that leads to a hundred foot float line that is so the fish can run and the float line is just a um, rope in a um, a plastic tubing so it floats on the surface there's different colors like this one was yellow so I hit the fish it starts swim bolts into the kelp and these these sea bass are so powerful when they crack their tail you can hear a boom I mean it is just a a loud noise uh, and it goes into the kelp. And I'm just sitting there and I'm stunned because this is the first big one I've got. And I see my trail line going out and I know I've only got a little bit of time to grab it because it could take the spear and the trail line and just swim off. And it, if it doesn't get tangled in the kelp, uh, I've lost my shaft, right? So I grab the line and it starts pulling me forward because they're very powerful fish. And I was at 10 or 15 feet. When you shoot these fish, they can, they'll bolt in the kelp. I grab my line. I feel it struggling. So I know it's starting to turn and that will wrap them in the kelp. And that's a good thing because that holds them there so that you can collect them. But this one, when it ran through the kelp, pulled me a little bit deeper. And when it finally secured where it was, I had the line in one hand and I said, oh God, I'm so excited. I've got to get up and take a breath. And I started to swim up, but the way it had wrapped and where I was on the line, I could not get up to the surface. And I thought, oh, no, do I have to let go of the line? And, and, and this fish is going to get away. I've worked so hard to get this. And I'm sitting there and I'm almost at the surface. And I'm, I'm even taking my snorkel and I'm trying to angle it up just to get up there. And all of a sudden the kelp shifted a little and I got a breath of air and I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. 
So you, you're just, you're so happy to get it. And there's so many steps afterwards. And uh, I swim over and I follow it through the kelp. I'm on the spot and I go and I'm getting my knife out, trying not to drop it. So I strap it to my hand and I'm just like, oh God, I've got to get down. You know, I've got to, I've got to go make sure the fish is dead. And then I've got to cut it out of the kelp before a shark comes along. And um, I could not get down. My ear had, had tweaked on me and I just could not get down the 20 or 40 feet to get down there to see where it was. And so I'm yelling for my buddy and he goes to get the boat and he's telling me to calm down, just breathe up, your ear will clear. And eventually I tried a couple of times and I couldn't get down and finally my ear clears. So I dive down, I look, it's wrapped on the very bottom of the kelp. I just scoped it out and th that typically happens. They will wrap up, even if it's mid-level, they'll, they'll sink down to the bottom and you'll find them, they fight very hard for a short amount of time and then they're pretty spent. So I went down there, you have to take the knife and brain it and then cut it out of the kelp. So the first dive I went down and scoped it out. The second dive I went down there and I brained it and then I had to come back up. And the third dive I went down there and started sawing away the kelp so I could untangle the, the, the fish and get it out. And I finally got it up and I was so happy. I mean, it's like I had shot a couple of smaller sea bass, like 12 pounders, 20 pounders, but this was the first big one. Uh, it was just, I can't tell you what an accomplishment it was to do it. And, and I handed it up to my, my dive buddy, Ed, who was my mentor as well. And he was so happy, you know, that I had finally gotten a fish because I'd been on the boat when they had brought their big fish aboard. And uh, this one weighed in at 48 pounds when we finally got it on a scale. It, it was just amazing. And if you go and put that much effort, you know, three, four years into catching a certain species of fish, when you finally eat that fish, that is amazing. It is the best fish you will ever taste in your life. And I know for a fact, I grew up in New Orleans. So the first thing I did was get a, about an inch thick chunk of it from the tail. And I made the best black and white sea bass I could possibly make at the house. And it was just such a triumph and I had to call my wife down to the dock to come see it right when I got there. Uh, and, and, and let my daughter, for some reason, kids like to touch the eyeballs. I don't know why, but it is a, <laughs> <laughs> it is an absolute magnet for, uh, for that. So it, it was just, it was amazing. I really like no feeling like it in the world. You were hooked. No pun intended. I, I messed oh. up with it with the puns today. You were absolutely hooked. <laughs> absolutely hooked. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really enjoy this. Um, you know, I there are amazing spear fishermen, but anybody who wants to do this can go have that same feeling immediately. Um, you can go out there, you can shoot something for dinner and bring it home, and you will get hooked as well. I can only imagine. I, I, you know, I definitely have hunted before and, and grew up fishing, grew up hunting. And, and there is something special about putting it on the table yourself. Um, there, there's such a removal of that in today's world, as you know, as we all know. Um, but when you're able to tap into those, those instinctual feelings and those instinctual, uh, needs, um, there is something pretty special about it. So, so, so speaking of which for folks that are interested, um, 
what what is the basic investment you would need to to kind of get started or the basic things you would need? I was going to say that for later, but you mentioned it. Um, if anyone out there is interested in trying it, like what what are those things they can just barely start out with? Right, right. So I I would say obviously you need a spear gun. I would start with a smaller gun. Don't make the mistake of trying to hunt monster fish for years. Go and get a gun. If you were here, I'd say, man, shoot some calico, shoot some sheephead um, with with a gun. You need a wetsuit, mask, snorkel. Uh, you're going to have to have a weight belt, fins. Man, I think that should start you off, right? Uh, and then probably some sort of trail line as well that I was talking about, the rope encased in the plastic tubing. Um, but... It, it, you can buy it secondhand on eBay. You can go to a dive shop and they're going to help you get into it. Uh, I, I like to think anytime I start a new sport, it's going to cost a thousand bucks. Uh, I would borrow gear if I could the first time or rent gear just to make sure it is for you. Um, some people really enjoy that. Some people get terrified the second they get in there. And we have a lot of bad biz in California. I mean, I've been in biz where I couldn't stick my arm out and see my hand sometimes. So, um, and, and on those days, man, if you're with real Spiros, they get in there and they hunt it anyway. So, you know, I think that would start you out. And then if I could just say one thing, take a free dive class, go and, uh, go and, go and learn how to be safe, learn the signs of hypoxia so that when you are pushing down there, you know, when it's time to stop, when your hands start tangling, when you, or, but wait, you want to stop definitely before you get dizzy, but don't, don't push it. Like learn your limits in a safe, clean environment and, uh, be safe. We've got some amazing teachers out here on the West coast. Uh, Lance Lee Davis, my good friend, Eric Jensen, these guys are all doing it. Uh, you know, just like learn and be safe. My, my time in the free dive class was amazing. So I really enjoyed that. Sound, sounds like a similar investment to like skiing or backpacking or anything like that, where there's just some basic things, but once you have them, they, they can last a really long time. Um, well, let me ask you this. Wh where can you spearfish? Because I know there's all different kinds, um, do you, and do you have any familiarity with different types of it, and is, is freshwater part of that too? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, we uh, we we just did a club dive this year in Arizona, uh, up at one of those uh, canyon lakes up above Phoenix. Uh, they have a big carp shootout, which is an invasive species, and they go up there and uh, have a contest on who can get the most poundage for carp. So you can definitely do it freshwater. You absolutely have to check with your fish and game department to make sure that you can spearfish where you are and to what the regs are uh boy you don't want to get caught like spearfishing for a wrong species or just say here in california grabbing short lobster or too many lobster or whatever the regs are but you know there's a huge scene in florida there is a huge scene here on the california coast uh texas is big Texas, you kind of have to get a little further offshore to go out to the oil rigs. That would be a bucket trip for me. I'd love to do that. But yeah, it's anywhere you have a coast and then in certain uh, bodies of water. And, and like I said, man, just check the regs because you don't want to get into trouble or take a fish you're not supposed to. Fishing license at the least? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and the one in California is 40 plus, I think, uh, 
think comes out to $52 with an ocean enhancement. And it will push you. You will, you will do things that you were afraid of yesterday. I used to be terrified of sharks. Uh, and now I think you just don't think about them as much. And, and in some cases, the sharks look beautiful. There's a certain time in PV where the, the soup fin sharks come in and they breed. And you're going out in the spring and you're looking for just, say, sea bass. Um, and it's not just PV. They, they breed all over. But you swim out and you see, say, one shark and then three sharks, and then five sharks. And then you're looking down, and you're in like 15, 20 feet of water, and you look down, and man, there is a whole carpet of sharks swimming around below you, and they are so intent on breeding, they don't even acknowledge you. And uh, uh, I know guys who swam down and touched them, which I think is a little bit on the dumb side. Um, but, you know, you, you just get out there, and you're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do if I shoot a fish? Um but it's just one of the most beautiful things in the world. And if you didn't dive, you wouldn't do it. I've seen that with leopard sharks too. And in much shallower water, uh, and those guys came in so close, you have to kind of bump them away. Um, but they just, obviously they're not paying attention to you. You get this big six, seven foot shark swimming, you know, and you're in like chest high water and you're like, Oh my God, it scares you to death. Cause it's a little bit, um, murky. But you see it and you're like, wow, this is something that nobody else gets to see. It's really, really cool. Wow. That's, uh, that's, uh, that is definitely probably one of the first questions that people listening might have is, uh, you know, what about sharks? You know, that's obviously a, a legitimate concern when you're in the ocean hunting for fish. You know, now that you kind of address that and address that maybe that's, uh, you know, not something to necessarily be worried about. What what are some of the dangers to worry about? Because, you know, you got a family, you got people to think about and worry about. You can't just be, you know, doing crazy, crazy stuff. So this doesn't seem like it's a overly adrenaline junky type of thing. What what are some of the actual dangers of it? Yeah, it's it's so funny. And I go with the shark question first. I, I was swimming down another kelp with Ed. We're both swimming on one side of it. It was a very small kelp. And when we got to the end, he says, Roger, you got to see this. And when I stuck my face in the water to see what he was talking about, your mind will pattern everything as what you're afraid of. And I'm <laughs> yeah. sitting there and it just looked like the biggest shark uh, pointed up at us at the end of the kelp and you jump back and you're like, Oh my God, no, I was just kidding. I didn't mean to be out here today. <laughs> and, um, uh, I looked down and it is a mula, a mula mula, which is a, I don't know if you know what this fish is, but it is basically, if you're looking at any fish, it would be the front of it. And then it has these two big fins. And this one was huge. I mean, the fins must've been, five feet across and it must've been like a foot thick and it's got an eye that's like this dinner plate just looking at us. They're very friendly. I've heard that they don't have a lot of predators because their flesh is, is toxic or poison, whatever the correct word is. Uh, but to see that just sitting there and they, they call them sunfish because they will sun right on the surface. But we saw that big fish, and Ed just looked at me, and he shrugged his shoulders, and he swam over, and he grabbed that top fin and rode it for a second, and then the thing just shrugged him off and swam off into the deep. But, it, it, you know, I guess that would say, yeah, everything looks like a shark or a shadow. In your case, Mason, <laughs> um, there would be that. Um, j just to address the dangers of it and the reason why I was talking about take a free dive class earlier, drowning is your number one danger, period. Uh, you can't be overweight. Um, you should dive with a buddy. 
Uh, there are many people who advocate doing one up, one down. Sometimes that does not fit some of the hunting we're doing on the West Coast. Um, but it's an amazingly good idea. Um, I've heard only base jumping is statistically more dangerous than spearfishing, but, but who knows? Uh, I don't really push my breath hold. Um, if you're one of these guys who push and you're blacking out, I mean, that's, that would just be a terrible way to go. We've had a couple of people go historically in the club like that. And every year you do hear about people who go down chasing lobster in rocks. They go into say a crack or a cave and either get caught or they can't figure their way out. Maybe they stir up some silt and they drown down there uh, or have a heart attack. And those people have to be recovered. And I just can't imagine how sad that would make my family. So I'm, I'm very careful. I don't, I don't chase rock uh, lobsters in the cracks very deep. And I, I can say I've never gone into a, what I would call a cave after one. Uh, I would rather go buy my lobster at the store if I had to. <laughs> I want to come home. You know, I love my daughter, love my boys. So yeah, I definitely be safe. Wow. Now, now to address that and, and, and folks that are, uh, that might be dealing with going after lobsters and stuff is scuba diving and spearfishing something a lot of people pair together or is that a little less common? Uh, a lot of people will scuba for lobster. Uh, there's no, um, regulation against it. Um, the best lobster guy I know is Mel Mitchell and Mel does almost all his lobster diving on scuba. Uh, he just says it's ridiculous to free dive. He was gonna. He's gonna do some reality show, uh, like where he took a team of divers and trained them to lobster. But it, it's a lot of fun, and it's not something where the bubbles are gonna scare off your lobster in a um, in an amount of time that that it would matter. You can get them great on on tanks. How how did your recent lobster trip go? We went to San Clemente Island. Uh, we were looking for yellowtail and lobster, and while I saw a ton of shorts which means they are smaller than what they need to be. Um, basically, to, to get a lobster, its, it's, its front segment has to be, I think, three and a half inches long. There are gauges that you can measure them with. And not one of us was able to find a lobster there that was over that length. It's about, it's about, about, about as big around when you're grabbing them. If they feel like you're grabbing a beer can, say like an athletic brew can, then that's, that's when you should pull out the gauge. If they're smaller than that, forget it. Um, and man, all the lobster there were short. We had heard from some people that they call that the land of the shorts, but, uh, we got completely skunked on that trip and no yellowtail either. Two hard days of diving and, uh, absolutely no fish, which was a bummer. But, um, you know what? It was fun getting out there. I, I'm sure it beats the heck out of a day of, uh, not spearfishing, um, or lobstering. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I say. I say cold water, drowning, sharks. It, it, at least I was out on the water, man. It, yeah, it's just amazing. Absolutely. Hey, thanks yeah. for the athletic brewing plug, too. Well, well take us through. <laughs> I would love to tell some stories. Those are, you know, a lot of times we don't go into these, like, hey, the background of a sport, because it's a sport we talk about a lot, like through hiking, for instance. So we'll jump right into stories from people, just because, you know, a lot of people are, there's so many more people familiar with that sport. Um, but with a new sport like this that we really don't, you know, feature much, uh, it's so cool to get this kind of expert insider look at it, how to get into it, what it takes where you can do it. And so now I'd love to ask you some stories. What, what has been one of your favorite catches or favorite experiences out there? I know you told me about a bait ball one time that was a, a pretty incredible story. I'd love to hear that one, but I wanted to give you a chance too, if you've ever had a favorite catch. 
Yeah, so um, my favorite catch would be swimming through the edge of the kelp uh, a long time ago out on uh, uh, Paul Zilstra's boat. And uh, I was down in PV, and I had spent an hour and a half hunting through the kelp, and, and we were looking for sea bass and hadn't seen anything. And when I came in, I looked, and the kelp was kind of flowing outwards. And, man, you look down a stalk, and sometimes you will see fish hiding in the shadow of the kelp waiting to ambush another fish. And I looked down there, and I could see a couple of calico. And um, these fish have to be about 14 inches Man, I think they get like 24 inches long. And this one looked like a monster. I mean, when you see it, you could mistake it for a small sea bass in size. And I had a little Euro gun there. So it's a little pipe gun instead of a big wooden gun. And I sighted down and I shot that fish and I pulled it up and it was huge. It was my biggest calico I've shot. It was eight pounds and I got it over to the side, and I was so new to spearfishing at that point. Byron, another guy on the boat, takes the fish from me, and I said, man, I saw another one that looked big, too. I'm going to go get that. And he just looked at me like I was crazy because I, I didn't even understand that, like, I was never going to get another shot at it. But it was a beautiful fish. <laughs> it was eight pounds. Uh, a lot of the ones that I shoot are, you know, way smaller than that, like in the three-pound range. Um, and I took it home and my mom was in town. She just flew in that evening and we put it on my grill and smoked it. And it was just amazing. So I, I guess I'd, I'd argue it's probably not the size of the fish that makes the best stories. Um, but I did tell you about that bait ball and, uh, I'd say I was out on Catalina and we were fishing on the East end. Again, I was on Paul Zilstra's boat and we saw birds diving down at fish and dolphins working the edges of the fish and what they will do is the seagulls or pelicans or whatever it is will pressure pressure fish from the top and the dolphins are working those fish from the bottom and the sides and then yellowtail so um uh it's a jackfish but the yellowtail will often work that from the bottom and they're trying to these these fish when they're getting eaten these were mackerel have a tendency to clump up and they use the safety in numbers theory, which basically is it's better for you to eat my buddy than me. And so we saw a bait ball. We're on his boat. Uh, he starts racing over there. And one by one, as we're getting close to the bait ball, the diver jumps into the water. And I think I was the last guy or second to last guy, but I jumped in and I could see some mackerel and they scattered and I could see these big white size dolphin, white, white side, Pacific white side dolphin, just kind of circling around and they move off. And I thought, well, you know what? Like I didn't make it. That's okay. It's relaxing. I'll just hang out. He'll come get me in a few minutes. And I'm just sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden the mackerel start coming back in on me. And the, these bait balls really, really move long distances. And this had moved away and they had moved back. And then they were swarming around me for protection and it was a hot day out there at Catalina. I had on a five mil wetsuit and I had the bottom open and I started seeing those dolphins circle again. And let me tell you something, Mason, everybody thinks dolphins are cute, not when they're hunting, man. And they're sitting there and you can see their eyes and they're looking at you and they're kind of nervous about coming in. Um, but, and I'm just sitting there surrounded. The mackerel are squirming up under my arms. They're squirming up into my wetsuit. And all of a sudden the dolphins just start rushing in snapping at these things just right beside me, coming over my shoulder, you know, just rocketing over. 
and it's just blood and scales just exploding in the water, and it is just game on, and I'm in the middle of this really active bait ball. And I don't know how long that went on. I mean, it felt like a minute, but it could have been 10, 15 seconds, but it was the most amazing thing in the world. And then all of a sudden, the mackerel disperse, because clearly I'm not cover. And um, and the dolphins start moving off again. You see them in the distance, and they're gone. And I'm picking mackerel out of my suit, and I took the last one, and I held on to it, and I had a pocket on my weight, on my uh, wetsuit. So I put it in the pocket, and I got back, and get on the boat and I'm telling the guys what happened. And they're like, they're like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, it was amazing. And, uh, so, uh, and, and when they said no way, I said, no, really way. And I pulled that mackerel out and we took one little picture of me holding the mackerel up and then it went back overboard. But, and just imagine what kind of story he is telling on the fish podcast he is on because <laughs> that's a bad day, but it, it was just the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. It, it, what's so cool about that is it's not even, you know, it, it's almost a uh, peripheral to the sport itself. It's an experience that came from building in that framework of a love for spearfishing. You know, we talk about it a lot on the show, like people's favorite stories a lot of times have nothing to do with um, the sport itself. It's just that the sport allowed them to be present for something really special or to meet someone really special or to change their life. And it sounds like spearfishing has provided that for you. It really has. Uh, I, I can't think of anything better than, than going down on a dive and seeing something spectacular or you come up and you're completely out of breath and you come up off of, say, Catalina and there are 500 cormorants flying over your head just as you come up. And it's just like, you know, it's like catching that perfect sunrise or something or, the, you know, just the best view in the world. But you're just like, this is for me. And it only happened because I made the effort to get out here. It only happened because I wanted to be out here and I'm diving. And, and it's just, you see things you will never get a chance to see. Wow. Just right off the, right off the road, right off the edge of the edge of the world on, on, on and jump in that water. It's a whole different world. That is too cool. It's someone somewhere as busy as LA. You can, you can have those experiences in the wilderness. Well, well I tell you what, you know, you mentioned, uh, those oil rigs in Texas being a dream destination for you. Is there anywhere else in the world that's kind of like either well-known or a place that you really want to go spearfish? Uh, I mean, I, I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina. I grew up in New Orleans. So I, I'd probably want to go up to North Carolina and just see what's out at the Outer Banks. I've heard the fishery is just amazing out there. So, you know, just I'd like to see that. Uh, I do like diving cold water in California. I think it's great. One of my bucket list items is to get to all the Channel Islands. Uh, I've spent a time at a little tiny three-mile island called Santa Barbara Island. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time at Catalina. And I've gone down to San Clemente Island. That's where I just did the lobster trip. So it's now time to go to the northern Channel Islands. Um, the sea bass aren't as big, but I want to see them. I want to dive them. Uh, the only thing that makes me nervous is San Miguel has a incredible, that's the furthest out Channel Island to the north. And uh, I want to dive it, but man, they have a huge seal population and they also have a, a rather large shark population. And when I say large, I'm talking about some of those big, great whites. But, I, I, you know, like that's a, it, it's a bucket list. I guess that's the one thing that would make me hesitate. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I just love that, 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 that's, you know, 
Great Wikes. If it wasn't for Great Wikes, I'd go check it out. But uh, you're, you're yeah, like, oh, exactly. I'd love to check out what's off the coast of North Carolina. I'm like, man, as someone that's a little bit terrified of the ocean, it's like you can just. It's crazy that that's your new, yeah, your playground in a lot of ways. It's unreal. I love that. Um, yeah, that's too cool. We, we had a, we had we had Chris Lowe come in and talk to the club. I had seen him on Shark Week a couple of times, and he is a horn shark researcher at uh, Cal State Long Beach, and um, uh, he also is the great white expert when there is an attack. Uh, and man, you have never seen a group of guys sitting around. We, we meet at a round table pizza down there in Torrance and, uh, you have never seen guys just paying more rapt attention to this man's talk on great whites and fish. And several of the guys in the club have run into them spearfishing. Um, and he is just sitting there talking about how the great white recovery was completely based on, uh, getting rid of gill netting, which is a great thing all around and, and, um, uh, uh, outlawing the killing of seals, uh, which happened God, a long time ago, like eighties maybe. But as our seal population has risen, you can see about a 10 year right behind it. The sharks are getting bigger and there's more sharks around. And, uh, he said, so, you know, right now I think we're at carrying capacity and in 10 years, you're going to see a lot more sharks. And uh, he says, that's really great, unless you're a marine mammal. And I thought, dude, every guy in this room spends their weekend being a marine mammal. <laughs> right, you are a marine mammal. <laughs> oh, yeah, my Yeah, it's just, it's it's terrifying, but you, you get used to the fact that they're out there, and um, it doesn't seem like it's as much of an issue as people would think. Uh, I'm not, not, not lowering the danger, but... That's just the way we look at it. Wow. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of it is exposure therapy. Get out there, get used to it, and uh, you'd be surprised what you can do. That, that is so neat. Well, well, let me ask you this. I, I meant to ask this earlier, but I, it's a little out of uh, order. But w- what is one of the most bizarre things you've seen uh, down there in the ocean? Just either um, stuff, something at the bottom or type of fish. What's something you thought, wow, I, that's that's amazing or un- you know remarkable? So we were up in Malibu, and this happens a lot of winters. It doesn't happen every winter, but um, normally you'll be looking for sea bass, just say in cold weather. And sometimes these sheep crab will come in. So they're like a stony-looking crab that come and swim up the um, kelp stalks. And they're big. I mean, you know, somewhere between like a softball and a, a bowling ball in size. And if I see one, I will grab that up and put it on the boat and call my wife on the way home and put it in a pot. Um, that would be one thing. But also in the wintertime, they have these things, and they're called sulks, S-A-L-K. And they are these jellyfish that form into like a long string. So it's like these globes, and some of these strings can be like eight feet long. Um, they're a little stingy, but... Um, I've gotten into the water up there and like it has just been thousands and thousands and thousands of these sulks just drifting through the water. Uh, one, like where do they go in the summertime? And two, it is just amazing how many of them can be in the water at once. Uh, that, that is just crazy to me. Um, so th- those are some of the things that come to mind when I start thinking about um, like what have I seen up there that's really neat. 
That's so cool. Anything on the bottom of the ocean, like an old car or anything you've ever said, holy cow, how'd that get here? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've found ships that like, well, I don't want to pretend like I discovered them, but you're like, oh my God, what what is this doing down here? You know, the, the just the remains of boats. Um, I go crazy when I find weight belts because they're so expensive. And you'll see me grab, say, someone's dive weight for 20 pounds, but you have to figure I'm already wearing 20 pounds. And sometimes your eyes are bigger than your 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 body can support in the water. Right. <laughs> and you, you've got to dump half of it and just leave it there. God, I'm trying to think. I uh, love it when I find spear, spear shafts of my own, you know, that someone has left down. And uh, a cross down at one point that I found. I'm sure that just denotes someone died down there, but you feel a certain sense of revenance. Uh, I assume it was a drowning. Um, that was, it was in Hawaii off of Maui. So yeah, I mean, I just assumed someone drowned out there and they had put some sort of cross on the bottom to uh, honor them. Uh, we've done something like that as well. Wow. So just a memorial. So fascinating, yeah. golly. Well, I tell you what, uh, you know, if anyone's interested, we do have a lot of listeners in California um, and in the LA area. If uh, if anyone is interested, is your is your club open to just talking to folks or getting folks introduced, or or if they're elsewhere, how how do they get introduced to this? You know, you mentioned taking a free dive class. Anything else you recommend? Yeah, look, if you're in Los Angeles, there is the Fathom Ears. And we meet the second Thursday of every month at the, we, we, we're re- meeting at a spearfishing store called Spear America right now because the round table cannot support the number of, we have over a hundred members. Um, it's one of the biggest spearfishing clubs on the West coast. And um, uh, they can either come to, you know, they can get on the website, which is fathomers.net and they can meet the people and you can come in if you want to join the club. You just come to a couple of competitions. You come to a couple of meetings, and then you do a little service to help out the club. But it is an incredible place to pick the brains of people who are doing this forever. And look, I'm I'm a piker, man. I mean, I am definitely a, a average spear fisherman. Some of these people are just incredible. I mean, they have minutes-long breath hold times and 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 have devoted their life to it and i am a spearfishing dad so like if you like what i'm saying anybody can do this i mean this is this is fun and it's a way to stay in shape and i love it but um yeah absolutely send them out to the club that'd be great this has definitely got me thinking i'm i've got a lot of water around me and uh (laughs) lots of sports i haven't tried in that water and on that water so well, I tell you what, Roger, I appreciate you being on. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to share? Any links or anything? You know, I'm on um, Instagram at uh, ruffledfeathers.me uh, and would love to talk to anyone there. I have been helping some people lose some weight in my spare time. It's not my job. Um, but if anyone is interested in getting in shape, I, I focus on getting people outdoors uh, whether it's swimming or hiking or whatever we can get you doing. Uh, I, it's just something that's been very gratifying for me, and uh, I enjoy it. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes 
And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.